Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is episode 37. Myself, Andrew Bogut. We have the big fella, Mike Procopio. I'm stuttering there. What's going on? Bogues, what are you up to, brother? Just another day in paradise over here, mate. Just another day in paradise, but enough about us, man. We we have some fame returning to Rogue Bogues, bro. We have Substack fame. Andrew Gates? No, Substack of Substack. For those not familiar oh. with Substack, check check it out. He's probably the greatest Substacker at at this point, sports Substacker that we've had on the show. It's a low bar. He turned his back controversially from the athletic pro, just walked out of the door, said, I'm, I'm taking my shit, I'm going home. He's free as a bird, some say. Welcome, Ethan Sherwood Strauss. What an introduction. I am happy to be here, guys. Let's sell some subs, baby. Sell some stubs. Let's go. Give, give him a quick shout out to the link. Quick, put it out there. Yeah, go ahead, put it out there. <laughs> House of Strauss at Substack.com. It's actually, I, don't, I actually don't even know how to get there. It's a sad House of Strauss.substack.com. Substack.com. So, yes, let's get the plugs in the beginning. That's uh, that's unorthodox, but that's just how we do things. I'm, I come here, guys. I'm worried I'm going to disappoint your very loyal listeners. Uh, I mean, I always worry about that when I come on this podcast, but I haven't been watching any NBA, you know? Can you give Neither me a way to cheat else. on the test? Uh, yeah, but there's some there's some preseason games. You know, I've watched I've, seen- I've watched more Euroleague games than I have NBA preseason games. That's a fucking fact. Oh, look at this hipster over here! More Euroleague games than NBA. Yeah, I love the Euroleague. Euroleague. Hey, I would take Euroleague over non NBA, non playoff NBA basketball any fucking day of the week. There's a war in every fucking game. I mean, every game. I love the intro music. I love. Oh, it's fucking goes. great. Yeah, yeah. It, it goes from epic, almost opera, and then just goes into fast-paced techno, and it is second only to NBA on NBC as far as basketball presentation intro is concerned. No, it feels real. You literally think you're in the movie Gladiator every time you're in a fucking Euroleague game. Uh, you know, that's what I'm talking about. It's good stuff. It's good shit. Mm. We have yeah. that. We have that on the run sheet, pro. So wait, way to jump the gun. But we're definitely going to get into that. Uh, a I fall. Bit. No, that's okay. By all means, hey, we're just trying to trying to make a living here, pro, with our with our run sheet that I I put together in five minutes before I went to sleep yesterday. But um, yeah, I think Strauss, you you're in our boat. We're not we're not watching. <laughs> I'm not watching preseason basketball by any means. I struggle to even watch. I watch opening night and opening week, and then it's kind of a free for all until probably February. Really, um, that's when I start to take it a little mm. bit more seriously, as as I'm sure both of you gentlemen do. But man, we have um, one of the funniest things I've <laughs> 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 I'm ever going to discuss on this podcast, in my opinion. NBA players <laughs> involved in fraud. Now, um, for those not familiar, there's there's been 18 former NBA players were charged with attempting to defraud the NBA's health and welfare benefit plan out of nearly $4 million. I'll read the defendants real quick. Terrence Williams, Alan Anderson, Anthony Allen, Shannon Brown, Will Bynum, Ronald Glenn, Big Baby Davis. I didn't know his name was Ronald. Christopher Douglas Roberts, who I played with, Melvin Elige, Mario Moon, Darius Wiles, Milton Palacio, Milton Palacio, Ruben Patterson, I played with also Eddie Robinson, Gregory Smith, Sebastian Telfair, Charles Watson Jr., Antoine Wright, and Anthony Roden. Anthony Allen, for those not familiar, would be Tony Allen. Allen's wife also, uh, Desiree Allen, was named as a defendant. Have you have you guys ever seen a more bonkers attempt at frauding something that doesn't even have that much money in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> no, but my initial thought is, and I want to get into this because I thought about writing about this topic generally. It's very man bites dog because 
other people are trying to defraud NBA players all the time, like to an extent that that would blow people's minds. And I think Andrew, you'd have more insight into that than a lot of a lot of people would. So it's just funny to see the tables turn, and it's the NBA players doing the defrauding. That was my initial thought. <laughs> That's I mean, it's such a stress take. <laughs> it's so fucking awesome. That's why we get you on, man. That's so out of left field, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, let's be fucking honest, all right? The characters that are involved in this, it, oh, ain't, ex- it ain't exactly Ocean's Eleven. Let's just be no. fucking honest. This is as well thought out as a Mark Jackson fucking huddle or a Three Stooges episode when they're trying to rob the bank for the 88th time, all right? It's a Coen Brothers movie, this yeah, whole for scene. Sure. And, and, and Terrence Williams, central to the whole thing, A, I felt very old when I read that he was 34, in the uh, in the indictment or whatever the legal papers were, thirty four years old. Because I remember, I saw him on draft night. I actually wrote about it. It was the only draft night or the first draft night I was at when I was working for the NBA in PR. Funny enough, and I'm sitting there. I'm in this big ballroom um, and just milling about. There just there's food and you know hors d'oeuvres, whatever, and the players are passing through. Have gotten drafted. Terrence Williams, I swear to God, I'm not saying this like metaphorically. He hops over to me. It's a fairly large room. He hops like a bunny. Like he hops, like hop, hop, hop over to me. And I'm just some fucking kid uh, in my early 20s sweating through my suit with a headset on. My job was to get Ricky Rubio through interview to interview that night. And so Terrence Williams hops up to me and he looks at me and he goes, hi. Do you live in New York? I'm Terrence Williams, and I was just drafted by the New Jersey Nets. And then he hops away and just hops out of the room. And that that was my interaction with the guy. And now today he's at the center of a criminal conspiracy. It's uh what what a character. Hey, did it look like he needed two hundred thirty-seven thousand three hundred twenty-one dollars <laughs> worth of dental work back then? Or you know, well, you it's just me, something. I gotta say, it was a great smile. It seemed like he was uh, not needing. Not needing any help in that department, but no, sure. he hopped like he hopped like a bunny. I, I I say this, I feel like you need the image in your head, and there was no reason to do this. I, I I was by myself. I don't get it. I don't understand. I guess he was excited about getting drafted, but it's so sad, guys. So sad to go from that moment of you're drafted in the NBA, you've got your whole career ahead of you. You are on cloud nine to the you know to the point where you're just hopping towards random people and talking about how great your life is to you're scrounging you're scraping you're defrauding it's sad man it's sad this nba story is hilarious and it makes me sad it is definitely very sad and for the people out there i'm i'm in this health fund so i know the ins and outs of it right so oh wait a second fuck Substack. you know like come on hook us up man hook you up yeah so basically (laughs) the, the nba collectively bargained many moons ago with the players in the league that um a portion of, of our salary, essentially tax-free, goes towards your health and benefit plan and then the league matches a certain amount. It goes into a pool of money that you use while you're playing. So, it's for your family and your children, off-season medical expenses, and then retirement medical expenses. So, most players have a few hundred grand in there. I've got a little bit more. It goes by years of service. So, I've got, I think I've got, you know, five, six hundred K um, sitting in an account that's only for medical expenses for myself, my wife, or my children, I believe, dependents, right? The way it works is they give you a card. You've got a, a debit card. 
and you use this you can use this debit card to swipe on at any credit card facility for anything medical right um so you can mm. physiotherapy dentist doctor surgeries whatever for yourself your wife and your dependents your, your kids generally right they will sometimes ask for proof um if you've swiped at something that looks shady like if you know if you swipe it most of all, if you try to swipe it anywhere out of a, a medical facility, it generally doesn't work. Somehow it knows. But if you did get through that, they can ask for proof. Would you provide a receipt? The the other way to pay for things is to pay for it in cash or on your own credit card yourself. Get an itemized receipt, upload it to a, a portal that we've got access to. You log into that portal, you upload the receipt, you say what it was for, send off the form and they wire you out the money. And that's what these guys have done, right? And I've done this many a times legally, obviously. Everything was was normal. I've, so I've seen invoices before, especially being in Australia. Half the times a car doesn't fucking work because it's from US and blah, blah, blah. So I have to get the receipt. So the receipts are, you know, generally pretty, you know, cut dry, obvious receipts. What kills me is that these dudes are writing up their own receipts with spelling mistakes, punctuation errors, <laughs> Half of them didn't have letterheads on the letter. So it was just a Microsoft Word document saying, hey, Ethan Strauss just got six teeth cleaned, 55, you know, $55 per hour plus the caps, blah, blah. <laughs> just like- <laughs> Yeah. The fact that they've defrauded even- Who the hell was checking these invoices at the other end is my issue too because- Yeah. They'd allegedly taken $4 million until someone was like, holy shit, you know, maybe smelling dentist with a C- Probably doesn't make sense if you're a dentist, right? But that that that's what's hilarious about it. Oh. I mean, who the fuck was a Sherlock Holmes that took $4 million in receipts to figure out that half of them were written in fucking crayon that they fucking didn't figure out that maybe this doesn't look right. Maybe it doesn't look right. So you thought I had to take out of left field, but I think that you've got kind of a – you've got a take that I'm not seeing other places, which is that it's a player's union failure. Or am I reading that wrong? Well, it's, I think it's a third party that the players union's hired to monitor it, but it does go through the players union. So yeah, a portion of it, you know, obviously people were, you know, fraudulently, you know, <laughs> putting in invoices, which is illegal, but who the hell is checking this? Is it just uh, someone, I assume the union that's a, you know, a family member of Chris Paul's potentially or someone else's that just got a job to get a job. It's like, how, how can you not pass that? The, the, the best one, the best part of this whole thing was the following that Smith, for example, who played for the Gregory Smith, Greg Smith, who played for the Houston Rockets, submitted claims for root canal crowns that he is alleged to received during a December 20, 2018 dental procedure in Beverly Hills, California. Travel records, email, and publicly available box scores <laughs> showed that he oh was playing God. professional basketball in Taiwan that week and did not receive root canals in Beverly Hills. If you're going to defraud, at, at least do it when you're home for the off-season. At, yes. at least do your homework. But, you know, my to my point, it worked so, so badly with – them doing the bare minimum, that they they got away with it for so long. They were probably like, hey, shit, I can't spell. I can barely read and write at a legible level. It's working. I'm getting the cash. I'll just keep it up. But uh, to no avail, gentlemen, they, they got caught. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, eventually. I just wonder if they thought about it. I wonder if they thought there's an eventually. I mean, in that case with the Taiwan thing, I'm trying to figure this out. You can claim a family member, right? He Could he have conceivably done it? In a way where he was uh, using it for a family member in the United States and he just didn't care. I mean, he could that do that. Yeah, but I think his name was on the receipt. And the kicker was that he, the dental procedure was on the same day as numerous other players' dental procedures and was the same teeth. Oh my God. Was the same teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I, I, it's amazing it went as long as it did. I mean, how much longer do you want to talk about this? I want to get into how you guys are constantly defrauded because now I kind of wonder, look, this is inexcusable behavior. It's totally idiotic by the guys who did this, obviously. And I'm not trying to make excuses for it, but I do wonder, they are in a world where there's a lot of fraud. I mean, the league is filled with frauds, and I, I, I'm amazed how little curiosity the general media has in a story like, oh, Kevin Garnett got defrauded out of $77 million, and it was by the guy who defrauded Tim Duncan out of $7 million, and KG was hugging this guy at the trial when Tim Duncan was trying to, uh, I don't know, get his money back or have him punished before the guy bilked kg at a 77 million and that's just because that's just scratching the surface on this whole thing i mean these guys are marks from the moment they enter the league they come in as very young men not all you know are that savvy and in many cases i'm just i mean i'm totally spoiling what i'm going to probably write about you've got a situation where the agent wants to get the money from the player but he can't rely on the player to actually pay him the money guys young Guy's distracted. Guy's not used to doing this. Uh, can't can't rely on it. So the agent is going to set him up with a financial advisor who's going to have access to the money, and that way the agent can get wired the money. So you've got a whole you've got an entire situation where you've got agents hooking up guys with shady financial advisors, and you're just wondering. I mean, they're prey the whole time, and I just think it's a bigger general story, and it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get crazier with Instagram and social media and crypto and all these ways to kind of incentivize guys to uh, to part ways with their money. So I just wonder, I wonder if there's an element of these guys saw that fraud was a way of doing things and then they thought that they could do it. Potentially, but the other kicker is there's players that also sign away power of attorney to those people. So mm-hmm. I've noticed yeah. that a lot because, and, and I understand the sell. Like a player comes out of college, doesn't know how to do his daily bookkeeping, his daily utilities bills, paying things, blah, 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 which is much easier these days, arguably, with, with being able to do it online. But even that, you know, if you have enough bills, you can spend an hour, a couple of hours a week online paying paying everything if you've got investments and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's one thing. So, so these guys can then go take out loans on their name. They can, they can move money wherever they want. And the sell is, hey, you know, Joe Blow player, Give me power of attorney and you'll have no problems doing any of your daily, you know, time you don't want to waste away from video games and girls and drinking and basketball. That's all you focus on. I'll take care of utilities, all that. So they need power of attorney. So they get that sell over the line easily and then hold me known, shit, I have 15 car loans that I don't even own any of those cars or whatever it is. So that's (laughs) one thing. The other point I'd make, Strauss, is I don't know if it will come out. There's there's a, a level of shame and embarrassment of guys being defrauded and guys being ripped off where they don't want to come out and talk about it. We saw it in the documentary Broke to an extent and that was- in my opinion, that was heavily scratching the surface. You've got uncles yeah. that start restaurants and bars that players are funding. You've got family members that need X, Y, Z. I mean, I had teammates where their family members were traveling to every NBA finals game or every NBA playoff game or pretty much every NBA regular season game and staying in the same hotels as us. Now, these pe- people out there, these are hotels that are five, six, seven hundred dollars a night. They're staying in those rooms in a suite. And I'm like, hang on a second, that guy's only making three, four mil a year or even even five, but after taxes, that's two. And then he's got his own house and car and then they're traveling on his dime. Like, that's not 
classified as fraud, but they're all the things that you're kind of alluding to. But I just don't think players have that prowess to come out and say, I was ripped off. Don't let this happen to you. It's nine times out of 10. It's like, I'm a big, you know, masculine man. No one rips me off. So I got ripped off. Just don't tell anyone. Yeah. And people wonder how, right? How, how do you not notice? How do you not notice something like $77 million being stolen from you? And if I had to guess without having access to the documents. I think what happens a lot of the time is that you have forged documents. You have fake documents. Why is KG hugging this guy at the trial? Well, maybe it's because this guy shows him his uh, his investments and, oh my God, look at that arrow. It's practically vertical. Like you are, you are raking it in. This guy's a genius. He's making me so much money. And when you give up that level of control, it's not just a matter at that point of you not paying attention enough. Just the information you're getting is fake at that point. It, it goes that deep. No doubt. Pro, you've, you've heard some horror stories too along your way. Yeah, I mean, shit. When I was with the uh, Celtics, I won't name the guy, but you know, this guy had his AU coach being his um, financial guy, You know, paying him like, like $12,000 a month. I said, and I asked the guy, I said, the fuck does it? First of all, the guy doesn't have a name. He, he was named after a number. Like that's what they called them. They named them after a number. Red flag. Second of all, I said, <laughs> I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, so this guy is your financial advisor. I said, what kind of fucking financial advice does this guy give you? He would like wear velour sweatsuits every day as usual, right? <laughs> so I'm like, this fucking guy, what's he going to tell you? Invest in fucking pumpkins and sell them on October 30th. And then you're going to roll your money over in Christmas trees and sell on, on December 24th. Get the fuck out of here. I say, come on, man. And then, of course, five years later, he ends up suing. Then we had a guy, um, a couple of clients in Chicago that had a, you know, had a financial guy, again, named, you know, had like a weird name, no first name, and they signed power of attorney to this guy. And, you know, for the most part, not all players, but a lot of players, they don't want a regular guy. They don't want a guy that's going to tell them no. No. You know, they want a guy who's going to say, yeah, buy that $150,000 chain. Fuck yeah. Go ahead. Instead of the guy going, are you out of your fucking mind? But that's what they want. They just want to keep. And then when they're broke, and they, then they want to sue the guy or they want to say, what the fuck? Da, da, da. You know, and it's, it's, it's a slippery slope. I've seen it a thousand times. You know, guys getting defrauded, guys just signing over a power of attorney. The guy hangs out with them at night, goes to the club, loves them, drinks this and that, gets some girls, and then signs over shit, and then shit runs amok. Instead of run, instead of getting the boring guy that's going to put you in an investment yeah. and set you up. Like Nazi Muhammad put all his money away most of his career. He lived on like minimal money, and now the guy's got millions. Jamal Mashburn. You know, guys like that who invest their money and take care of their money and, you know, they're, they're set. But that's, I would say about 85% of players are going to have financial trouble within five years of retirement. I would say upwards of 90. Even with all the literature that's out there, even all the horror stories that are out there, it still continues to happen. The observation that they don't want a regular guy, I think is a great observation. I, I've been noticing there's this guy, Grant uh, Grant Cardone, YouTube celebrity, Instagram celebrity. Oh, yeah, yeah. And has a bunch of investments in Florida, I think. And 
I don't know how much money the guy has, but he's become one of these, you almost feel like he's making the money talking about how he, how rich he is kind of guys. <laughs> and um, there has been some reporting to suggest when he's crowdsourcing funding for some of these real estate developments that maybe, I want to be careful here because I don't know everything about what's going on, but there might be some reason for uh, suspicion of shadiness. But athletes love him, love him. And he's... Uh, he, he did a speech with Magic Johnson, and I've seen him do stuff with Kenny Smith. And when you watch his YouTubes, he's not a regular guy. He's not a dork. He's charismatic. He's cool. He's talking to these guys. He's looking at these like, hey, ballers, like, you want this? You want that? You know? Oh, I got the bird. I got the bird. And he's talking about his private jet. And he's spinning this story for you. And it's almost, it's such a great, it's such a great little trick in a way, because he's trying to talk about, hey, don't be an idiot with your money. You know, this is how you don't, don't be an idiot, but he's kind of setting you up for the next alleged scam or potential scam where he's saying, hey, I don't spend my money out of my uh, active money or whatever he calls it. Uh, I spend it out of my passive income. And my passive income is all the money I rake in with all this rent people pay in these apartments, right? You know, that just kind of accrues into my bank account. You buy a huge building, all these units, 7,000 units, look how much money that is. That's what I do when I'm buying all this dumb shit like this Bentley and this private jet. It's with my passive income. You guys need to spend out of your passive income. And he just makes it sound so easy easy like yeah yeah buy a couple buildings you know yeah yeah buy a few apartments you know then i get to spend however i want and i can like get that i can get that lamborghini and i can get that range rover i can get whatever because i'm just spending out of passive income and it's not real and guess who's going to show you how to you know get to the passive income guess he's going to tell you how to invest in whatever it's going to be this guy and that's what the game is about i think allegedly again i don't want to get sued but i look at that i i it doesn't seem right to me when i watch grant cordon's videos but if he wants to be a guest on my podcast uh the door is open he's, he's very charismatic he's a lot of fun to listen to he's like a he's basically a tony robbins of finance right like he's that kind of guy up, up, up in your face yeah exactly Mo yeah motivates but the other one you hit, Strauss, is that uh, I think the agents generally have an incentive to not hire a financial guy that's too smart and asking too many questions. They almost mm. have, a, have an incentive that, hey, make sure my agent's fee is paid. Make sure the guy's happy if he wants to spend his money. And that's about all you need to do. So some advice I always gave young fellas was try to hire a financial guy that's independent of your agent because they'll hold each other accountable. And then you, you want that. You want that little bit of yes. conflict somewhat, the, the the honest conflict of like, hang on a second, why are you letting my guy, why are you, why are you telling my guy to buy a Bentley when he's on his min NBA deal for, for to be a, a branding influence NBA player? No, we're just going to focus on this and then vice versa. Like, hey, why are you paying a 5% agent fee when the rest of the league's playing three? So that's a big recommendation I gave to a lot of guys, try to keep it independent. I got lucky with mine because my guy, um, I didn't know shit when I came to the league and thankfully the guy I had as my financial advisor showed up in jeans and tennis shoes and just was an average guy. Like didn't, it was if he showed up in like a, you know, $50,000 suit, I would have been like, hang on a second, how are you, how are you paying for that suit if you're a financial guy? How 
you driving a Ferrari with your financial guy? Like, like red flag straight away. Because so. he's paying because he's paid out of his passive income, Andrew. Passive that's, income. All, that's all you need to know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that that's the advice I give, and you want to try to not conflate the two, and that's that's an incentive that a lot of agents, believe it or not, have. They want their as long as their clients paying their agent fee, and and the agents basically telling the financial guy, make sure at the end of all he's spending, he's got my three percent. I don't give a shit about anything else. So that's that's the dirtiness yeah. of the game as well. Well, that's such a great point that the agents have such completely off the books, practically uh, mafia level ethics with what they're doing. And you want to talk about uh, some some documentation that that might look like it was a uh, chicken chicken scratch and written in crayon and everything else. I mean, when it starts out, it might as well be that for the agent where sometimes they're paying a player to represent them just to keep up appearances and who the hell knows what else is going on. I mean, I remember the story with Dan Fagan, RIP, uh, former power agent. Uh, he sold his agency and I think the next guy who got the book said, what the hell is this? And they had a whole legal fight over it because it's a completely ridiculous, uh, ridiculous game. I mean, yeah. Yeah, a lot of these guys, Bogues, like, so say you're, uh, you've got like 15 NBA clients and say, I don't know, your average income is say a couple hundred grand on each guy. So you make it like $3 million a year. You might be paying out like $2 million, like not only in expenses, but like paying guys, you know, recruits, like other play guys to leave agents like you might be paying out 1.8 or 2.5 or 2.6 on other things like call high school kids college kids keeping in the mix and you're not making that money a lot of football agents do the same thing where you think they're rolling in it and yeah they're, they're collecting commissions on guys and everything but they're taking that money and they're recruiting other guys not only the expenses of flying to places and, you know, dinners and all that stuff, but like actually paying out, you know, paying players. So it's like, yeah, you're making this money, but you're, you know, it's going to back out the door to continue to get guys. And then you got to like, you're not charging him on the rookie deal. You're paying for his trainer. You're paying his mom. You're paying his dad. You're paying this person and that person. And you got to wait four or five years before you get your money. That's why, yeah, they'll get him in investments and they'll get him a financial guy and they'll take, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have him take out all these insurance, you know, all, all these insurances that they don't need because they get kickbacks from the insurance guy to try to get recoup some of this money because a lot of this money comes out for recruiting the next class of people. And then you're not getting paid on all these draft picks. You're not really getting paid for the first four or five years unless you're getting the endorsements. And now you're seeing a lot of these players like sign with an agent, but somebody else does my endorsements. Like that's sort of something that you're seeing a lot more of these days too. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering because I read some blog by some financial advisor on the athletes getting defrauded. Substack or no, uh, non-substack? Non-substack. This is from a okay, while yeah. ago. I want to track the guy down. You know, I, I stumbled upon it because I became fascinated with this whole KG, this whole KG saga because I'm reading through it. I remember hearing about it, but I'm just wondering just, this seems like something that, I mean, this is crazy stuff to me because you remember that KG and Tim Duncan have that acrimonious dynamic and you've got KG hugging this guy who defrauded Tim Duncan and then he gets KG even worse. It just seems like something we should all know about more so. And what the guy was arguing is that this is the system working as intended. 
the intent is for these guys to come in and be easy pickings for a bunch of other power players. And uh, it, there's no real incentive. Nobody really cares about preserving their money. And I wonder what Andrew thinks about that. Is this a case of these guys are naive? They're in an unusual circumstance where they're young men. Um, and they're making all this money and they're just going to get, they're going to get defrauded no matter what, or is this a larger issue where nobody from the top cares and nobody's really doing anything and they could be protecting these guys better? Yeah, it's, it's a fair point because when I, when I came into the league, you know, being the number one pick, even being a top 10 pick, top 20 pick, you got the pressure of then moving to a city. I've spoken about this on the, on my My Journey um, series because, you know, you move to Milwaukee, I've got to now furnish an apartment. I have no fucking idea about, you know, the, the, the detail of furnishing apartments, right? Like, so I've got to get, you think it just, as a guy, a bachelor, you're like, yeah, I get a better couch, I'm good, right? Like, no, you got to get fucking cutlery, glassware. You got to get bath towels. You got to get linens. You got to get sheets. Like So I had no idea. So that was enough of a stress for me, right? Then you've got the basketball. Then you've got the road trips. Then you've got figuring out how to pack your bags so you don't, you know, basically your first two, three road trips in the NBA, you've forgotten something, right? So getting in that rhythm, all those distractions. Then you've got, okay, you're single. Then you've got female distractions. Then you've got your family asking for shit. So a lot of guys are just like, you know what? Financial guy, you handle that. Let me know, blah, blah, blah. I'll check my accounts every now and then. So I get how it gets to that point because I was one of those guys early in my career, right? I, I was thankfully on my rookie deal only um, until I started really, at the end of that rookie deal, started reading my fo- my P&Ls and my, my tax my tax forms and all that kind of stuff. But that's how it goes. And there's some guys that it used to irk me going into financial meetings, my financial guy, and, and they're using financial lingo, abbreviations and whatnot. I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about half the time. And, and you feel like an idiot trying to stop like, hang on a second, what does yield mean? Hang on a second, what does, you know, how do I write that off? What does that mean? You know, like I had no idea about it, right? I'm going to be honest. So you end up just sitting there like your head spinning and most guys are just like, ah, oh, yeah. Is he telling me the money's all in my account? Yep, it sure is. Okay, I take your word for it, and that's it, right? But most players don't ever get to a point where, like myself, I'm not talking myself up, but it, it bothered me not knowing what the fuck they were talking about because I'm like, this is my money. Like, what if it's not there? I always had that kind of. What if they're lying, right? So, I went and did an online course. It's been well publicized. It was actually called per- Personal um, Wealth Management, which was perfect. Figured out all the um, different different you know vehicles you can invest your money, how you get returns, taxes factored in, and it was the greatest thing I ever did. I recommended it to a bunch of my teammates. I don't know if any of them did it, but I recommended it. Said it's awesome. It took me about a year to do, but most players won't do it their whole career, and then they'll retire, and then they'll be like, "All right, let me learn about this." Holy shit, Kevin Garnett, seventy-seven million. I've just realized he stole seventy-seven million. <laughs> You're just like, dude, that was over the course of twenty years, right? The other one that you've missed, Strauss. That a lot of people forget about. And I don't know if you'd call it fraud, but family, man. Family is the big one. Yeah. And, and that's the one that can't be spoken about publicly. That's the one that's embarrassing and, and it, it strikes a, a chord in people's souls and hearts. If it's your, your parents or your brother or your sister or your wife, whoever it is, they're usually the ones that are close enough, other than the financial guy and agent, that cause the most havoc um, that nobody talks about. It's, it's the family. Yeah, it's just ugly. It's ugly. I mean, I, I guess we can talk about it because the Wall Street Journal mentioned it, but they wrote about Kevin Durant and his mom reconciling after something happened uh, involving credit cards. And good luck to them. I think you just obviously want anything to be, you just wouldn't want anything to violate that kind of dynamic, but that's just, you, you see it. And I think that's one of the reasons why 
I keep I kept seeing the same thing. I wasn't I wasn't around the NBA for too long, but I kept seeing the same thing uh, because careers are short. And guy comes in, he's a rookie, bright eyed, bushy tailed, happy, happy to talk with you. We'll do a bunch of interviews, and then you just see this glimmer kind of fade. And there's something about the NBA and there's something about the fame and the money and what it reveals in people, the people closest to you, what they will do to you to get it, that just does something to a lot of guys. I mean, it's in a way you guys get to experience great things that nobody could ever imagine and uh, the things that they wish they could. But the other side of it is that I do think you sometimes see ugly sides to humanity that a lot of us are thankfully shielded from. Yeah, I would agree. On a daily basis. Go ahead, bro. No, I just think that like most of the players you see in the league, you see like a, a, a playful joyfulness when they get drafted into the league. You know, look, they may, maybe they went to college and, you know, had a decent experience and they're just sort of enjoying it. And then you look at that same player three, four, five years, like – I'll tell you what, talking to Kevin Durant like early in his career and working him out and being around him, being around him now or seeing him from afar, it's a lot different. And because he's been through some shit, not only grew as a player, but I'm sure he's seen a lot of people like trying to get at him, a lot of people like going behind his back, a lot of people. And that's just, that's not just Kevin Garnett. That's all, I mean, Kevin Durant, that's a lot of the league. Like, you, they're a lot different. Yeah, they grow up and they get older, but, like, I think they've just been through the ringer. Women, agents, people trying to get at them, trying, people, you know, fashion designers and stuff trying to design their clothes for, you know, an 8,000% markup. This person trying to steal money off them. This investment, this family member. And when they get to the, like, four, five, six years in the league, they're a, they're a lot different person. Most of them are a lot more closed off. They don't want to be approachable anymore because they know, like, maybe day one, they're like, oh, this is great, NBA, money, basketball, you play on TV, and then – you know, and they figure it out that off. Like, it's just a, it beats you up. It's fuck, it beats, it kicks you in the nuts every day for year. And not only the pressure of performing, getting another contract, but all these people trying to get at you that I think it, it hardens you. It hardens the heart and the soul a lot. And you're just a lot different person. Bogues, what about you like coming in versus, you know, year seven? Oh man, it completely changed me. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like it was, there were friends, there were family, there were people close to me that I respected that burnt me. Um, and it all came down to money and how much I can get. You know, can I get on the bogus salary train? You know, can you pay me a yearly salary to do X, Y, Z? And I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been in the league. You're never ready to have that hit you in the face where people are literally scheming behind your back, potentially with other friends or family to try and, hey, how can we do this? Or you need to say this and make him, you know, or whatever it is. And I've seen it and heard it all. And I'm sure I'm not. You think you're the only guy it happens to until you talk to other guys. But a lot of times that conversation never starts because of what I said earlier. People are embarrassed because it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm a man. I can run my own shit. But no, I, I got frauded. So people are scared to talk about it. I'm, I'm not. I've, I've been screwed out of money. I've, I've made bad investments, but I've learned from all of them. I won't do it again. 
and that's that's kind of the the best part about it that I can the only positive I can get out of it. But man, it's it's confronting, man. Like I don't care if you're 19, 20, or thirty five. It's confronting when you people that you really trust right next to you, shoulder to shoulder for years and sometimes decades, they burn you. And I ended up being obviously, you know, Strauss. You probably both know me as a cynic at times, but I became real cynical because I just trusted nobody. I was like, you know, what does this person want out of me? Are they really talking to me? Because they just want to say hello and they're nice. And I come to figure late in my career, that's not the right attitude to have neither because I probably burned a lot of good people because I had this shell around me, right? And um, that's the hardest part, man. And I, I guess I, I, I got a bit more freedom once I was strong enough to say no. And that sounds funny, but once I- Early in my career, the first five or six years, I was scared to say no to anyone that was somewhat close to me, even my old friends and acquaintances. If they asked for money or they asked for something or this or that for their family, I'd always try to help in some some way or another. When it finally got to a point where I was comfortable with saying no at the potential of losing a relationship, that's when shit really hit me in the face because I'd say no and then there were ramifications to that no from their end where they, they'd be trying to you know, leak stuff to the media, try to um, break up other relationships I had, try to really do some toxic shit to me. And that's when I was like, holy fucking shit. Like this is, and that's to pro's point. I came in the league, you know, jolly young fella, college system, and it just goes bang. And then you factor in the individualism of the NBA. Everyone's their own brand. It's not really about the team. Everything you hear in a locker room, family first. When I first came in as a young fella, I'm like, this is awesome. We say family first. It's a family. Yay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then then within three months, you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) This is the complete opposite. (laughs) And I'm not saying this as a way to shit on the NBA. It's just fact. And you guys have both worked close enough to- to probably back up what I'm saying, that it's it's a facade. No, it's family. It's family from Shameless, but it's family. <laughs> well, the thing you're talking about, I've seen too. I've seen it where a guy is a star and you start noticing when you hang out in the, let's say, hallway at the old Oracle Arena, that there are factions within his entourage who are scheming against one another. To yep. be the ones who are going to have the best relationship and they hate each other and they start talking shit about each other to you. And you're just looking and it's like, dude, your friends are just in a war for your money that I don't even know how aware of you are of it, but this is playing out. It's Game of Thrones amongst your friends and the prize is your wallet. Yep. <laughs> it's so dirty, man. But I, I am curious about something that I guess it's semi related and maybe it's too personal, but. You know, you talk about finding people to trust. You talk about having become cynical and jaded. I believe you got you got married in the middle of your career. Late, um, late, late. Late, late in your career. Mm-hmm. I've met your wife. Very normal, nice person. How, when you're a public figure who's making a lot of money, do you meet somebody you can trust like that? How does that come to be? Well, uh, number one, I had a 10-year rule. I said, look, she's going to deal with my shit for 10 years without even a proposal. We're halfway there. And I, I implemented that <laughs> strategy. So we were together for, for a long, long time. Like we had a few little breakups along the way. I guess it's tough. You, you got to go through the grind, the ups and the downs and, and, and just see. But I guess her nature is kind of the opposite of mine. She's a much calming influence and just, you know, it was always a calm house for me to come home to no matter what my issues were. She was never an Instagram influencer type. Um, no one, I don't think there's even any photos really of her out and about um, with me or anybody else. And that was something that I was cognizant of. I, I don't want my kids and my wife in that in that sphere because if you, I, I didn't know how to handle it when I first got thrown into that gauntlet and now I do, but they that's not 
not fair to them, especially my children. So I keep that separate. But it is hard. I mean, I give my wife shit still to this day. Like, you know, is she really married to me for me? You know, and she's like, starts, fuck you, dickhead. Like, you know what I mean? And that's just me being <laughs> kind of sarcastic asshole. But um, yeah, it's it, it is hard. And 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 we see you know marriages, and we see you know even I've seen brothers and sisters screw. NBA players, I've seen parents, I've seen grandparents, I've seen, you know, and that's that's the hardest thing to swallow because people won't they won't they won't talk about it and they won't admit it. It's just not a, not not something that you can fix. And even if that family member burns you, you're probably going to let them back in your life eventually because they're your family, they're your blood. It's your mum and dad or your grandparents or your brother that you grew up with, right? So whereas if it's a friend, it's much easier to burn. But when it's family, that that really strikes a, a nerve in most people. But just around this segment off, I guess we've we've talked about the perils of it all, but in, in, in give me your opinion, both of you, on what's the fix? How do we fix? How do we fix this problem for these athletes? Who, right, pro, you take it first, man. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the first thing they got to do, shoe companies, because they get the kids first, right? For 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 sure. All these academies they're trying to set up, what have you? Forget about teaching these kids math, science, English, history, right? Yeah, you got to teach them remedial things education-wise. I'm talking about the elite player that, that you know are going to be NBA players. You got to teach them you, wealth management, financial literacy has to be at the forefront. And I think of regular people too, but let's just talk about the athlete. Like, because there's so much more information, there's so many more people that can come speak to these kids. And that's the most important thing. One of the most important things of it, not, not how to open up a checkbook. Fuck that. How investments work. How do you invest your money? What are these people going to try to do? All the examples of these fucking shady motherfuckers are going to come at you. And I mean, even that won't get them ready, but like, there's nothing for these kids. I remember, you know, Joe Boylan, uh, Bogues that was with you in Golden State. Joe Boylan was a, an intern with us with the main Red Claws in the D League. And like all our guys that we had, and, and none of them were really NBA players in the year one that we had on the team, 99% of them or 95% weren't. But he like set up like a financial literacy class for these guys, making their fucking $121 a month or whatever the fuck we were paying them in the D League. But still, like, at least some type of financial literacy. Like that's gotta be, if I'm running gra elite grassroots things for any shoe company or any entity, uh, overtime elite, the, uh, the ignite from the G League, that is what I'm forcing these guys to be able to do because they need to know. They need yeah. to know and they don't know. Well, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I, I keep actually interrupting you. I just love that we all know Joe Boylan. Hey, by the way, fucking asshole, you're right, you're bending <laughs> me over for ninety nine dollars a year for your fucking Substack. All right, so you, you, when I fucking talk, you listen, asshole, or I'm pulling my investment. <laughs> I pay your salary, <laughs> and Bogut is so jaded and cynical. He's not even going to pay full freight for my uh, for my subscription after earning over a hundred. Hey, million. look, he got robbed <laughs> enough money in his career. He doesn't need ninety nine dollars more from your bullshit that you. <laughs> fucking you know, even after you making over a hundred million dollars well i guess my only solution would be i think the players union needs to be more aggressive in red flagging fraudsters because you hear these stories the substack take um take an nba blue cross blue shield debit card because it'll gladly do it 10 on me yeah glad we do it 
<laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, Go ahead, buddy. You got it, buddy. Yeah, got it. yeah, yeah. But that, that was it. That Because you hear about guys who are fraudsters being in the mix advising players, and then they might have a, a, a court case or two, and then somehow they're right back to doing it again, and it just seems like there's not enough aggression when it comes to red flagging certain shady operators and that they could they could have people in place who could be the the police of this is what i'm saying and they won't get i mean they won't get rid of the family stuff as andrew's talking about and they won't get rid of a lot of stuff um because it's just such a vast issue and frankly i mean i'll be curious to know what people think about all this episode because i think the response from a lot of people is who cares, right? You know, guys handle their money bad. Well, I'd like to have some money to handle bad. You know, I don't, I don't really care. Or they might be really interested that it's such a huge problem uh, that it is, but they need to be the ones who are interested, who are interested in it because nobody else is going to be. It's got to be the players' union. Nobody else is going to care about what's happening to these guys, and they just, they've seemed uh, lackadaisical on it. I would say it's the same players' union that built a told us they were building us a, a brand new state-of-the-art basketball facility in New York. So when guys <laughs> spend the three days or week that they spend in New York in the off-season, they can use it. They built this going into a lockout year, <laughs> which I was like, I was I was going bonkers in these meetings, like put my hand up, excuse me, can we build this after the lockout? Can we keep those funds in a pool just in case there's a lockout so we can sustain two or three months if we have to lock out. Oh, no, it's fine. We'll get it done. We've got all these families that will want to rent it out. Then they build this fucking thing. It's not even regulation size. The court's no, like- yes. Yeah. So, so, you're like, what are we doing? Like I was, I was, I called them out as much as I could. I was heavily in the minority and I could see what was going on. I mean, another example, Strauss, is these, these NBA teams, this is off topic, but these NBA teams build these arenas, right? They build these brand new arenas. They write off the cost of the arena- to their annual revenue of the team, right? So I'm asking the union, like, so those profits are then lessened to our BRI and, and, and to our collective bargaining and to our escrow. The, the team's obviously not making as much as is on paper because half a billion of it's gone towards an arena development. Do we own shares in the arena? No, of course not. <laughs> well, do you not see an issue with that? Like, they're, they're, they're mitigating their tax, their taxes and whatnot because they're writing it off to an arena, but that's coming out of our, our potential earnings, right? And, and no one, everyone was like, oh, yeah, well, shut up, Bogues. Like, all right, cool. So I just kind of let it go. But yeah, it's, it's just an interesting one. Um, the union, I think it needs to be a zero strike policy on agents, financial guys, fraudsters, family members, foundation runners, whoever. One strike and you're out. You're out. You're out of the NBA family for life. You're not coming back. Strict protocol. And then number two, I like Pro's point and, and yours. Maybe maybe someone in the union, they need to hire a department. Now, this is a hard one because some players won't do it, but where you can get everything, all your potential investors, you get the documentation, which usually is the first step, Strauss. When you have a friend come to you and say, I've got this great deal for you to invest in, usually the way I'd flush them out pretty quickly, I'd say, let me see the business plan and you'd never hear from them again. <laughs> so that, mm. that got rid of 80, 90%, but let's say that 10% then comes with the business plan and financials. There should be someone in the union that can audit those that's part of your union fee. We're going to, we're going to order that company and, and those numbers and make sure they're right. But I think players, they become competitive in a locker room. I've got a better investment than player X or, and, and they just don't want to share that information. I think that's a big part of the problem too. Yeah, folks, I think from what I've been told, because you know, we had a lot of clients in you know Chicago or Grover that dealt with some of these financial guys that were definitely shady. And I think that the Players Association allows you 
one audit a year or one free audit. But I think that they should audit. Ev- I think every player should get their guy aud- or girl audited. You know, and because there's only 500 players, and come on, I mean, with the money they're fucking stealing, I mean, making out of the players' association, <laughs> they can definitely <laughs> get somebody to audit these guys and girls that, that hand, women that handle this money from these players, and just make sure they're safe. Look, that that's their cash cow. I mean, obviously, so why not put a lot of money behind? I mean, what a couple of million bucks a year behind? I'll tell you how that goes, pro. Pro, you, you, I'm your financial guy. You come to me and you say, "Hey, I'm going to get the um, the union to audit you." Damn, bro! Like you don't trust me, bro. Like we've been we've known yeah, each other for, for 15 mm. years. You oh, damn, it's like that. What the fuck, man? And then the guys just won't do it. That's the exact conversation. Yeah, but they can, right? But they can, like, if they, if they, if like if they if they're saying, "Oh, wait a minute, this guy's running my money. I don't really trust him." They can go to the league and get them audited if they want to, and they don't have to hire their own person. But you're right. I yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. They don't like confrontation unless it's on Twitter. NBA players do not like confrontation. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. All right, let's finish that one off. We'll move on from the from the money bags. We're going to move back to. You've been following the whole vaccine saga, Strauss. I have, to a certain extent. The Kyrie stuff gets confusing, but yeah. Yeah, well, we discussed it last week, um, and I went on record, and so did Pro. He agreed with me that the the, the 90 to 95% fully vaccinated number in the NBA, we're not buying what they're selling. We don't, we don't believe, I don't believe that number's true. I think it's, you know, when, when the population's, what, 50, 60% fully vaxxed, and the NBA's 90 or 95, because we know how much professional athletes love going out of their way to help the community that they're going to go over, over the, the averages in everyday society. We don't believe it. But anyhow, Andrew Wiggins has succumbed. That was the big news of the week. He has gotten his his, his vaccination, so he's one of the good guys. He's allowed, to, he's allowed to play now. As you mentioned, I think the last big name left is Kyrie Irving, and um, some Interesting news just was broken a couple of days ago. We had it in the group chat. New York City has determined the Brooklyn Nets facility, which is a private office building, is cleared for Kyrie to practice. He cannot play though, because it's obviously an open forum for fans. But let me play devil's advocate. So he he trains with the team. He has the virus, um, hypothetically. He gives it to all the team members. They then go and play, you know, at Madison Square Garden or at Brooklyn's Arena in New York. How is this protecting people, guys? I mean, I think it's... it's absurd, I think, on the face of things, but I guess they want to incentivize people to get it so they'll make things difficult for you. And they don't admit that that's part of it, but it's obviously part of it. It's We want you to do this, so we're just going to create onerous restrictions, and it's not going to make a lot of sense. We're not going to be able to really justify it, but we all know what this is about. We want you to get it, and we're just trying to make life enough of a hassle until you do. I think that's what the NFL effectively did to get their guys vaxxed. They had all of these arcane policies for separating a player from everybody else, and it sucked. Guys talked about how much it sucked because the NFL's not... It's not like the NBA where players have uh, a large amount of power if they're any good. And so I I think, I don't know whether I believe their vax rate. I think they said 93%, but that's, that's what's going on. I think on a larger societal, a larger societal level. And no, I don't, I don't believe the NBA saying what 98%. Doesn't that sound, sounds like one of those elections in the third world country that the guy gets 98%. uh, I don't think so. Even if Canada might be trying to uh, really be hardcore and drive those vax numbers up, saying that if you step out of line unvaccinated, you'll go to jail, uh, I think was the recent announcement. I, I don't think it's 98 because 
in the NBA, it seems that the person in charge for a lot of these teams, uh, the head of compliance, uh, is the team trainer. <laughs> so well, let I me just, ask you something: Do yeah. they have to show? And Bogues, you know, you know Strauss or Bogues, whoever, maybe you do know, maybe you don't. Do they have to show? We mentioned this last week, didn't we, Pro? Yeah, I know you said they did, but is that a hundred percent that they definitely have to show proof that they had it or didn't have it, or is it just word of mouth? No, it's it's the pers- the people. I reached out to only a few players, so it's a small sample size, yeah. and sure. it was a yes or no question on a form, and then they just okay. asked them, said, "Hey, Perfect. have you been vaccinated?" Yes. <laughs> there was no there was no follow up. Now I don't, I'm not sure if that's every team. This is only a small sample size, right? That's what people will argue, and it is. Yeah. But we, you know, we, if that's the case, then yes. Well, we kind of You're discussed. Right. We, we kind of discussed the point. You know, you know, um, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Taurus, a few notorious. We're not taking the Vax guys last year. Are now on that roster. Yeah. But they all had a come to Jesus meeting with Super Agent Mister Palinka, and now they're vaxxed. <laughs> where there's there's some some word word out there that they were you know somewhat told hey just say you've had it will protect you so who knows but from what I've heard it's it's a word of mouth tick the box Strauss yeah talk to Rob Polinka needs to become a euphemism for uh, pretending to do something even not saying hey we have no proof of anything but it's just funny it's funny that these guys in these interviews are saying oh I would I wasn't going to do it and then I talked to Rob Polinka and he's the uh, the next generation Anthony Fauci and now I'm injecting something that I was totally against before it does seem a little implausible on the face of it but hey agents are persuasive perhaps I do want to say as an aside. It's a miserable issue to talk about, uh, the vaccine slash COVID issue. It's almost like if Israel-Palestine impacted literally everybody on Earth and everybody has an opinion and very few people have any sort of actual scientific basis for their opinion. They're repeating whatever they think the scientists are saying. And I guess what's always bothered me about this issue is that I know what I don't know. I mean, I got... I got the vaccine, uh, you know, my wife got it first. She didn't keel over and I said, okay, you know, I, I, <laughs> but I don't, I don't actually know. I don't actually know what happens. I have no, I have no clue, no clue. And it's one of the reasons why I wouldn't feel so compelled to just yell at Andrew Wiggins, even if I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. He's talking about an EpiPen or whatever, because I know I'm not, I'm not saying it from any basis of hard knowledge and this is exactly what happens and this is exactly why it's safe maybe such knowledge exists um i'm not saying it doesn't but so many of the people when i look around let's say um bay area media what what not when i just look at that specific guy they're yelling at him but if you ask them okay can you just explain to me how does the vaccine work they wouldn't be able to tell you yeah yeah, and th- th- we spoke about this last week, Strauss. Your former brethren, I don't know if you call them former because you're a sub-stacker now, but every beat writer and journalist at Media Day, what was the first question most players got asked? It was sickening to watch. It was, are you vaccinated? And I'm like, is this a, is this a, is this a basketball training camp? Or are we, we, we doing, we doing vaccine spots? Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm pro-choice, um, always have been, and you know, I cop shit for that because I should be in the all-in train for vaccines where I, I think each person should be able to make their own decisions based on what they do. Um, but I, I was sickened to see, you know, it, it almost felt like some of these beat writers and journalists were, were loving it. They were loving for a player, obviously, to say, hmm, I'm not sure. 
you know, and, and then they could go and write these these anti-vax Brad Beal or Jonathan Isaac or whoever it was. And, and it was just kind of, from my point of view as a player, a former player, was just sickening to watch that that was the, the most important thing the first day of training camp. At the Warriors uh, media day, uh, my my observers on the ground told me that when Wiggins starts talking one of the uh, one of the reporters just says audibly, "That's not true." Like uh, <laughs> you know, when when Obama was given the State of the Union, I think that's what happened. And a Republican congressman yelled, "You lie!" It was one of those situations, which is just I don't know. Maybe save it for the column. It's very strange. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. You know, if you if the guys ask the question, if he's talking bullshit or. If he's completely being honest, all of that is uh, it's his time to give his spiel. So so that happened. And I guess you could say that the journalists have a duty to ask about it because it's an issue the league is dealing with. I would argue that uh, maybe there's not a sense of proportion um, for that particular issue, but I get it. But what I didn't I didn't like with the Wiggins thing, and this is just an emotional reaction. So the guy doesn't want to get it. And he doesn't really want to talk about it, but he doesn't want to get it. And he's sort of hounded, and he ultimately has to get it. He's under pretty intensive pressure. He really can't do his job unless he gets it. Um, okay. I kind of feel like that should be the end of it. You know, he got it. Uh, he didn't want to do it. And it's with a lot of chagrin. And it's pretty much against his will. I guess you could say that he chose it because he had a choice of keep your job or not, and that's a choice, but he did not want to put that in his body, and he looks dejected, and he feels like he didn't have sovereignty over his own body in the way that he wanted to. Again, I understand the counterarguments. I understand the argument of we're trying to curb replication, right? It's not just about you and your body. It's about everybody else and we all have to do things we don't want to do i understand all those arguments but to see him that dejected and distraught and feeling like he had almost been violated in this way i didn't like seeing a lot of the response from either people in media or just people with followings of just just jeering at him and scorning him even more and mocking him even more i looked at that and i just thought it's really hard to buy this is all about benevolence and safety at a certain level sometimes. I mean, if if that's the reaction, if the reaction isn't, hey, no, you didn't want to do it, but you know, good thing you you took you literally took one for the team. You know, that that response, that reaction, I just think would probably be more appropriate than a lot of what I was seeing. That's that's just that's just my take. Yeah, it's fair enough. I think it's a balanced human human take that <clears throat> I guess most people outside of social media would have, but Kyrie Irving, <laughs> he's been. Uh, it's been. It's been reported that uh, if the vax mandate goes as hardcore as it currently is, that um, and they tell him that, dude, we, we need you to play those forty-one home games. If you can't play them, we're going to either move you on or don't want you to play. But he would retire, gentlemen. That's the rumor. What, what are your guys' thoughts? Do you think he? Do you think? I feel like he's probably one of the few guys that maybe would go that gung-ho I'm, i don't know he's in a circle but he seems like he kind of whether you love or hate what he talks about and does he marches to the beat of his own drum I, I don't know if he does the wiggins he also has something that might be a little underrated in this whole thing he has what everybody plays an entire career to get and never gets he has and i, I mean i hate to bring it up i hate to bring it up with the present company but he hit the big shot in the big game you know, mm. I mean, he he has that moment. A lot of guys are chasing that moment. He has that moment 
Um, presumably he has some money and I don't know if he's actually going to go through with it. I mean, he must love basketball on some level to become as good as he became. I would have to think, but I mean, it's not off the table that he'd do it. I mean, I wonder if he thinks that history will validate him that, yeah, everybody's angry at him now and he's the guy who's wrong right now. But what if there's some sort of correction in 10 years and he is revered for this? I mean, I could completely see him thinking along those lines. So I wouldn't bet on him doing it, but I also wouldn't be shocked by it. Especially if you consider Abdul Rauf's journey. He wasn't a caliber of Kari, but he was he was probably a star, wasn't a superstar. And, and he's been validated the last 10 odd years, but that's a the whole separate discussion. Pro, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, folks, we talked about it last time with, with the whole, you know, with the whole vaccination deal. But with the retirement stuff, I, I think he's crazy enough to do it. I think that he he he's one of those guys that has to be right every conversation. And if he's gonna say he's gonna do it, I think he's gonna do it. And are you going to be the team that trades away a big asset or two big assets and gets him back and he retires? Are you going to be that team? I mean, I, I think you have to blink. You know, to be honest with you, I think you'd have to take that pretty serious that he's going to do that. Now, I think I think half of his arguments probably, and I don't like to play like – I don't like to get in people's heads because it's a waste of conversation, but he's probably saying that maybe they'll cave and let him play eventually. You know, so he'll just chill and do what he has to do. But um, I do believe him. I think he's crazy enough to fucking do it just because, you know, he is what he is. I mean, he's he says what he wants. He does what he wants. And um, not a lot of people have checked him on stuff. So I probably wouldn't fucking try to make his day and, and try to, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, call his bluff on this shit because if you're, like, Portland and you're giving up something or, I mean, if you're another team that gives up something, to get him, like say Philly, <laughs> they 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 finally get a trade that they can work with Ben Simmons, and oh, finally we get something for Ben Simmons, and we're gonna get a better player for Ben Simmons, and then Kyrie says, "Yeah, I'm fucking out." You know, <laughs> you know, you know, fuck you and the Liberty Bell. I'm out. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not jogging up the rocky steps. I don't give a fuck about the spectrum. I'm out. <laughs> and uh, and then you're like, oh fuck. It's great for the league. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> great for the league. So I don't know. Could also be a play where he's maybe you know devil's advocate, creating some leverage for himself that if he gets traded somewhere where he doesn't want to be, that that's hanging over a team's head trying to move for him. You know, so who knows where the truth lies there? But it's an interesting one to watch. And just he's probably the last. I, th- I believe he's the last big name superstar standing that has not being too kind to the mandate. So we'll watch that space. Strauss, how much do you love? I know you haven't watched preseason, but Pro and I joke about reading a little bit about it, about how how great everyone looks in preseason. I love reading about it, and I actually might even believe it with Jordan Poole. That's my one take, uh, okay. just based off a few based off a few highlights, you know. I'm just I mean, this guy's ceiling. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If he plays against the Lakers defense, he'll put fucking <laughs> Pistol Pete Maravich to shame. He was looking like Pistol Pete, man, with that uh, that fake spin move going into the step back. That was uh, that was pretty slick right there. But yay, you know that's a, it's a good thing. Everybody should everybody should be hopeful. The NBA doesn't sell enough hope, right? Uh, there are only four teams that can win a championship every single season. At the very least, people need to buy into the idea that every player and every team got better. I think it's necessary, even if it's absurd. So, you're, so if you're Detroit, the Detroit Pistons, this has been a, 
a great preseason for you and you've got a chance to finally get that chip. Hey, I liked Killian Hayes as a draft pick. I'm hoping all the bullshit they're selling is real. That's what yeah, I would yeah. say. I don't want to have to live that one down. Well, for uh, the record, pro is strongly <laughs> against it. Yeah, he went on a rant last week. He's strongly against that. I gotcha. I listened. I listened to the podcast. I heard. By the way, what I love what the pro always does is anybody who can't shoot, he sarcastically says, Larry fucking Bird. This guy, (laughs) uh, yeah, he's Larry fucking Bird, this guy. I did fucking, I did grow up a stone's throw away from the fucking garden. So, you know, Larry Bird's my go-to guy on that. But preseason basketball, like when I was working with young guys and I was with the Mavericks, I loved it. Because young guys that aren't going to play during the regular season get a chance to play. And it's sort of a gauge, even though they're going to be in a D-League city most of the year. You know, it's a good gauge to see where they're playing. Not, no one really takes it serious. There aren't many, you know, veterans that take it serious, uh, meaning 90% of the Lakers roster won't take it serious. But, um, like, you get a decent gauge against, you know, okay NBA competition, how these rookies are going to fare. It's a way better gauge than Summer League because Summer League's such a fucking joke. At least it's a little bit more remnants of NBA competition and NBA game and referees and things like that. But yeah, it's a fuck. I mean, it it really like if you need cataract surgery, I would not fucking watch the NBA because it's gonna put you under. Mm-hmm. You'll go mm-hmm. under the knife trying to you know trying to watch that shit. But you know for the preseason, but you know for young guys, it's good because you know that's probably the last chance to play and until their team starts tanking in January, February. But like. You know, and they're out of the playoffs, but you know, I, it's just not a good product. Definitely not in, in the preseason. Which leads us on to a topic you brought up earlier: pro style of basketball. So you brought up that you'd rather watch a Euroleague game over any NBA regular season game. You factor in the WNBA as well. Sometimes gets um, debated that you know the skill and fundamental is better in the women's game because there's less uh, inclination to go for athletic athletic plays and dunks and all that kind of stuff where do you see all that strauss what's your feeling i don't know if you watch too much euroleague um i'm sure you're watching a fair bit of wnba right all the time constantly um i mean <laughs> that is a weird thing there does seem to be a weird social pressure to pretend on that one and i mean that's a whole other topic is players pretending to be into the wnba who do not watch any wnba and do not care that is one of the funnier subplots that I think you've been a little privy to. I, I don't know. I think Pro has been a little bit of a hipster with that one. I don't know if he actually believes that. I mean, what do you think? I think he believes it. No, he believes it. Pro? Okay, right, folks, you tell me what I believe and then I'll go believe it. <laughs> Pro, go. You, you tell me what I believe and I'll tell you what I believe. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I believe that Pro believes the, the regular season games in the EuroLeague mean a lot more on a game-to-game basis. Obviously, he's top 32, mm. then it goes to 16, then it goes to pools of four, much more competitive. One bad game could yeah. set up a bad 32. Um, so the games arguably in you know this time of the year compared to February, they are all just as important. I think there's a bit more passion involved with the crowds. I think the atmosphere where and the amount of games is less. When you look at the NBA – Let's be honest. People are people are pumped up for November. Then everyone coasts through December and January, and the switch comes on maybe after All Star break. A lot of games in that yeah. bunch are meaningless. Cold night in Milwaukee, Minnesota. People don't really give a shit. Oh, we're, we're twenty two and five. If we drop three of this road trip, who gives a shit? So I, I believe that's more his point than the hipster thing. And then you throw in the WNBA. I guess you know there's probably a bit more inclined to fundamentals because obviously the athleticism is is nowhere near the level of the NBA. So, but. The Euro League, I think that's his argument. I kind of wonder if the NBA needs to do more 
to incentivize the regular season. The play-in tournament was a step in the right direction, but it's real. It's real. I think what pros reacting to, I, I feel it less with EuroLeague, but more when I watched NBL and I watched Australian games, I found myself really enjoying them because you can you can sense that energy when the game actually matters in the regular season. And then you realize that that feeling is is absent. And two teams in particular probably broke the league in that respect. There were a lot of factors, but two teams in particular, and that would be the San Antonio Spurs with their pioneering of load management. That's number one. And then they got praised for being so smart for it, which incentivized more teams to not treat an individual game like it was important. And then uh, the Cavs. I, I don't know why I keep bringing this up. I feel like I'm just causing cause Andrew pain, but by winning in 2016, when the Warriors have won 73 games, that really sent the signal, I think, that the regular season, whatever, especially since you guys were getting killed for having won 73 games like it was a bad thing in the aftermath of it. And it really drove home the idea that it's just it's championship or nothing. Um, and wanting to win the championship and badly wanting to win it is a good thing, but not to the complete detriment of any regular season success. So the league has lost something. I think I mentioned that 2021 uh, first ABC game of those weekend slates that they've got. The first one, the premiere, January 30th, Lakers, Celtics. Uh, this last time, 2021, it was uh, 2.7 million people watched it. Now, weirdly enough, 10 years before, on the dot, January 30th, opening ABC slate, same teams involved, Lakers, Celtics, Everything pretty much the same, although different players, obviously. That game got 7 million. I mean, that's one data point, but that just shows you. That just shows you the drop. And I think a lot of that, it's a lot of other stuff, but it's a lot of the devaluation of the regular season as well. And the NBA has got to figure out. Play in tournament, good idea, but they've just got to figure out to get that juice. Pro, I'll let you go in a second and tell us if we got right what you think. But also, Strauss, do you think there's a plausible theory in saying that technology has probably made these games less worthy? Why I say that is back in the day, you might not have a chance to see Magic Johnson live on you know in, on TV because I've only got so many games. Um, you might not see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Wilt Chamberlain. So there was an incentive for those guys to go to cities and play just as well as they play at home. It'd be the first time fans see it. So, I mean, that could potentially be the negative that technology's caused is that every game's televised, every game's on TV, that guys can just kind of coast coast through some of those those road trips. That's a factor I didn't even really think about. I mean, I think about more, there's just more of a sense that you need to preserve yourself and that's logical and it makes a lot of sense. And so I think that's that's part of it as well. But I think once... The really bad thing is just once it, it it gets known. I mean, the I think the term load management that was a sea change. That's uh, that's called the Sapir Whorf hypothesis. That it's easier to see something if you give it a name. They gave it a name. Giving it a name is a problem. <laughs> once you give it a name, people really know about it. I mean, they kind of had a sense of it. Of oh, you know, sometimes the guy, sometimes the guy's not there when I want to see him when he comes to my town. And, you know, the Spurs do this real weird thing, but, it, you know, they're weird and international. It kind of works for them. But once you give it a name, as funny a name as it is, then it's branded. Then it branded the NBA as the league that does this. Do they do it in baseball? Yeah, they do it in baseball. But they actually just don't give it a name. 
<laughs> so I know I'm getting off on a tangent. I, you you had an interesting point with the technology, but I was just thinking uh, extemporaneously that just the branding of it is also a problem. I don't know how you undo that. Pro, tell us what you think. Yeah, I mean, with the EuroLeague, it's style of play. You know, the NBA, all of those things you were saying about load management and, and, and you know, trying to put incentive on the, on the regular season – there's no way you can you're not going to put incentive on the regular season because the the I think just because of like the structure of you you got to have the schedule set up where in the Euroleague it's like if you don't win a certain amount of games in the in the regular season part of the year you're out you're done you're eliminated where the NBA you can't do that you got to play a full slate because everybody's got to make their BRI money so first of all style of play second of all that the fans are actually fans of the team. They're not really fans of, they don't follow the individual going from team to team on the majority. They're, they're, you know, they're all in on their club. And, and that's, that's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable environment. The players don't run it. It, it, yeah, yes, it's talent oriented, but the players don't run it like the NBA. You don't have the diva situation to the extent that you have it in the NBA. You don't have 982 step back three pointers contested in bullshit shots where the guys don't care. They care on both ends of the floor. You know, if not, they're going to get rid of you for the most part. And I just really feel as though there's a sense of pride in the EuroLeague. Every game means something. Yeah, not every team's good. No question about it. But they actually throw the ball in the post. They actually move. They actually screen. There's actually physicality involved. And there's actually like game planning. And I think like you don't really get to that in the NBA. You might get to it with about 5% of the regular season games. And you might get into it most of the playoffs. I would say I'd say about 75 to 80% of playoff games are pretty cool to watch. Probably once you get out of the first round. You know, and so I love playoff basketball. I think, you know, and then and you throw the WNBA part in it. Look, I watched the first game in 97, and I never watched another game for 20-plus years. I started working with a, uh, with a player, Arike Gumbawali from uh, the Dallas Wings, um, who beat UConn in the Final Four a couple years back, and she's an all, all-star MVP or whatever. And so I was forced to watch it because I, I didn't know anything about the league. So I had to watch it. I had to see, I did what I did for Kobe. I did for her. And I watched it and I didn't know what to expect because again, I don't, I never watched it. I had nothing against the WNBA. I just never watched it for one reason or another. There was no reason for me to do it. And what I respected out of it. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have something? No, I was just laughing because you you, you got very def- you kept having to defend why, and you just kept adding another sentence, and I was just laughing. Hey, it wasn't it wasn't out of disrespect. It's never reason. I was uh- <laughs> yeah, there's no reason. Like because well, a lot of people, you know, whatever, girls basketball, blah blah blah. But I just never had a reason to do it. I did it. I watched it, and what I respected was the the ball movement, the skill level, and what I did respect was the physicality. I will tell you this: the WNBA is much more physical than the NBA is. Much more like they karate chop, they punch people in the face. There's, I, I've never seen a fucking no, I swear to God, like, especially Arike, like, she karate chops. Like, I'll, I'll have to like rewind her film. I'm like, what are you doing here? I said, you know, this is like, you should, like, in the NBA, you'd be thrown out of the league for doing this shit. Like, it's unbelievable, you know, it is pretty interesting. So, I was impressed. So, I would rank it Euroleague slash. Olympic basketball, number one, not even close. 
I would rank the WNBA two. Style of play, not not athleticism player. I'm just saying style of play. Third is non-playoff NBA basketball. Now, NBA ba- playoff basketball, number one, for sure. But, like, I, I really like the playoffs because, you know, especially once you get out of the first round, I really enjoy it. But non-playoff NBA basketball is a fucking drag. You name me how many games – like I know the Warriors, of course, the Warriors when they were rolling, most of those games were great to watch. Not most, uh, at least half of them were great to watch, like non-playoff. Yeah. But non-playoff today, you tell me a middle of the road team to a decent team, mm. not the Brooklyn Nets, not Giannis, not I don't know Lakers, Lakers yeah, and Warriors, Warriors maybe, yeah. Yeah, Warriors when they're healthy. You tell me a fucking team that you want to pay to watch. Luka Doncic you'd want to watch for sure. For sure you'd want to watch. I'd want to watch Dallas just for him. But you tell me a regular, like, how you tell me a percentage of NBA non-playoff games that are enjoyable to watch. Style-wise. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Detroit Detroit v. New Orleans on January 27th. Yeah. <laughs> just like yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, I'm good. I'm not going. Maybe they need to put a load management clause in the ticketing strauss. What do you think about that? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, they got to do – again, I, I salute the league for doing something. Um, they tried. You know, good they, – they, they at least did something. That's the first step. The first step is actually trying to fix the problem. Uh, you're not going to hit a target if you if you don't aim for it. But it, it does feel I, – I think maybe crazy things should be thought of. I mean, what if home court – I know this will be rejected, but I'm just spitballing here. What if home court advantage was five games out of seven instead of four? you got to do something to incentivize those games. So, I mean, even crazy theories like that, I, I don't mind. I mean, it, there has to be some sort of reward for that boiling hot day in Miami where no one wants to go to a game or that freezing cold day in, you know, where it's Milwaukee versus Minnesota. And, you know, there's got to be some incentive for those games that half, half the time the players don't want to play in those games, right? So, yeah. And there's an argument to, you know, whether they're 45 and five at that point. Then there's the other argument, oh, we might as well ease up on the gas because we don't want to get hurt for the playoffs. Then there's the other argument, they're 20 and 40, let's shut it down. So it's like lose, lose either way of the spectrum, unless you're in the middle really fighting for a spot, which is only usually a handful, maybe six, seven, eight teams. The rest know they're either lottery bound or they've got a chance. That's what's killing things. But I'm I'm all for any ideas just to make those games more worthy. And they've, they've spoken about the mid-season tournament, and I don't think that does anything. But the, the, yeah, the, the incentive to-, to Fewer actually- games is the thing they should do, but they don't want to do it. But less I mean, money then, you know? Well, but money. people say that- But will it be less I would money say it's yeah, less- exactly. Will it be? Well, yeah, like less guaranteed money is what I would say. It's risk, right? And these owners, they go, hey, I got the bird in the hand. I, I don't want to risk it. But it's hard to make the argument that- Fewer games equals less money when the sport that rakes in the most money in the United States is NFL football, and they've got 16 Mm. games. Because scarcity, I mean, that's a huge driver, is the idea that I only have so many of these games, and the teams, they need to win win these games. I mean, that's how you feel. You also have 70,000 people going to games, too. Like, it doesn't make it up for the 41 home games versus eight. But you do have – I mean, you're right, though. You're absolutely and it's correct. cultural. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's cultural. Yeah. Tailgating, spending the whole day out. Like, it's there's actually a better feel to NFL's end of the weekend. Sorry to cut you off, Pro, but end of the weekend, you bring your no, grill. No, no, you bring cooler with beers. You're in the parking lot. It's cultural as well, whereas the NBA, like you said, Strauss, if there's three games on in a week, all on TV, 
and you get one of them in, you're like, eh, that's, that's good enough. Yeah. I mean, that's something I'm watching too. If you talk about the tradition of how one goes to a game, I mean, I'm watching what's going to happen with the Warriors because they put that arena there based on the idea that a bunch of people are going to get off work downtown and head down to the arena. And San Francisco right now is the epicenter of the work from home revolution. And Mark Benioff, who runs Salesforce, which is the massive cloud computing company, they've got the biggest tower in the city, um, is saying, yeah, most of our employees are going to, they're going to, they're going to work from home now. And their buildings are all over downtown. And that's just, that's not just some random Joe Blow saying that. That's an indicator of this is is what it's going to be. And so I'm just, I mean, Jordan Poole maybe has to be an all-star to get (laughs) full full (laughs) crowd in that arena. You know, maybe Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, uh, you'll get people actually going into this downtown area where there is not parking and there isn't a big parking garage but that's the thing about where the warriors are playing there's a tiny parking garage here and a tiny parking garage there but for the most part it's you got to park on the street in order to go there and there's no parking so and you got to jump over some 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 poop on the sidewalk and a few needles and just a little bit well the problem is they got to yell cut because you're walking through the set of the the, the walking dead on a daily basis (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know what the fuck you got You there. joke, but I, I recorded my audio book uh, off a street, I think around the Soma in this alleyway. And I was just, I, I was I was blown away. And that was pre-pandemic. And I, I would walk from it to the arena when I was recording it on, on game days. So, I'd do some narration and walk. And it was like walking through The Walking Dead. It was just the smell. All I could say is you could feel it on your skin it's brutal dude it's brutal it it, it was yeah it's it's not good so they got some problems downtown there are some factors beyond people enjoying working from home uh that are contributing to some of the issues in san francisco currently which is a huge shift from when lakeup was cutting the ribbon on the foundation and katie was wearing a hard hat and Mm -hmm. lakeup was yelling this is the greatest city in the world and it's only gotten better in the last 10 years I don't think anybody is saying that right now in San Francisco. And and we laugh at Clay Thompson for being quirky, but he might be the smartest man in the room by taking a speedboat to the arena. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that just seems like fun, too. I love that fucking guy. He's the man. best, man. He's <laughs> honestly – I don't know if you saw the video the other day of him with the um, the ninja stick or whatever the hell he had <laughs> at the beach doing like a, a rep, like a ninja turtle. He's awesome. <laughs> Clay's the best. But How about uh, him swimming in the fucking bay? Oh, he's he, every day he's out there though. It takes his dog, loads the car up. Whoever wants to roll with him, he's just such a free spirit. He's a really um, Good really fun and easy guy to support. Yeah. Moving on real quick. Uh, do you know who Jock Landale is, Sherwood? My guy. What's the name again? Jock Landale. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Well, if you Lawndale. if you listen to Spurs game, it's Lawndale. If you listen to Spurs game, yeah, oh. and you listen to the podcast, it's Lawndale. We're not going to get too far into this, but he's a, he started at the four for the Australian national team at the Olympics. He just signed a deal with the Spurs. He's coming off the bench, young fella, MVP of the NBL finals, played really, really well. But anyway, uh, we had him. We've discussed him a lot on the show. We're trying to get him on the show. His name's Jock Landale, and for some reason, pros called him Jock Lawndale for the last three months. <laughs> and it's been it's been um, solidified. The, the Spurs of commentators, for some reason, have called him Lawndale, so he's been texting us and giving a shit about it. Did you, did you put them up to this shit? What the fuck's going on? And pros, uh, pros are trendsetter <laughs> with his with his uh, 
age and and obesity. <laughs> the problem is, if it's a word that I don't have to lisp, they actually understand what I'm saying. So Lawndale has no s in it, so it's all good. Yeah, I couldn't believe. So it. maybe like, that's I mean, why I couldn't believe they dropped the Lawndale. I think I think in the Olympics there was a Lawndale reference too along yep. the way. So oh yeah, we have started a trend on this podcast, Strauss. Okay, let's get into your Substacks. Give you a little bit. A little bit of promotion. You you hit two pretty. I actually listened to the audio version on your podcast of the masculinity slash Nike take, which I thought was a really really good discussion. A really really good discussion. I, I highly recommend people to either listen to it or read it. And then you've gone on to why NBA Twitter ruined the NBA take. But break break us down on both <laughs> the masculinity one. I mean, people can read it obviously, but I just found it interesting. The premise was that Nike sold masculinity when Michael Jordan was the face and, and, and being a big, strong man. They, they leveraged off that brand to, to where we are today, where they've almost frowned upon it in their latest commercial, uh, Strauss. Yeah. I'm just wondering, is it, it's 5,000 words. So I was thinking, what's the best way to summarize it? I'll say this about it, as long as I'm promoting that it struck a nerve. I mean, it got shared widely in places I wouldn't have even expected. And some people were mad about it. And I guess that's just how things are these days where people are going to be angry if you're saying something uh, that's obvious and against the grain. Because what I would zero in on, I was looking at it through the prism of Nike's advertisements. And so I watched a bunch of ads from the 90s and you know, to the mid 2000s, uh, to even right before when social media really hit critical mass in 2013 and things started to get silly. So I was watching those and I was comparing it to the recent ads and I knew I had a little something. I knew I was writing a weird thing when I was writing about this. I had no idea how it would do, but I was just over at my mom's place out in the suburbs and she asked what I was working on and I just started showing her the new Nike ads, the ads that uh, they've been making recently for the Olympics um, and for the for the Euro Cup. And she was just, I mean, her and my aunt were just like scoffing. And they're very liberal, reliable, democratic voters and whatnot. But it the, the content of the modern Nike ads are so preachy and ridiculous and political and just cringe and bad that any normal person has that reaction is what I've noticed. And I think that's the main takeaway I've gotten from writing the article comparing the new ads to the old ads is, holy shit, are the new ads terrible? And people will say, because the new ads are, I mean, they, they say it in one ad where they're talking about a hopeful tomorrow and they're saying, the narrator says, the WNBA will surpass the NBA in popularity, um, which is maybe a message that, that resonates with pro, but you know, not most Nike consumers. Um, and it's just very strange. Like there's this odd contempt in the ads towards men. Um, I mean, you can see it in another one where it's for the women's national team. Uh, basketball team and uh, they've won a lot so they should feel good and you could make an ad celebrating all the success they've had but it's all about how they're just so much better than not only men not only their favorite teams but the men in history and alexander the great they make him look like alexander the just okay and uh, they dismiss all the great men in history and they show a, a bust of julius caesar and the narrator goes that's just the patriarchy and you're watching this going this is nike what what, what is this <laughs> this is completely bizarre i feel like i'm at a seminar at at oberlin college this is very weird and 
not only is it weird, it's bad. It sucks. And everybody knows it sucks. And nobody said so because you don't want some of the criticisms I might have gotten from, from noticing. But it's fairly clear that these ads were not, they will not resonate with people in the way a lot of the best Michael Jordan ads resonated, in the way a lot of the best Nike soccer ads resonated. Chicks dig the long ball is a phrase I'm sure Pro knows, having been an American who would you know live through the 1990s. It's not, they would never make an ad with that tagline, by the way. That would never happen again. But they, they're they just not making good stuff. And I think that's the main thing that I'm arguing is that as Nike has moved away from the idea that they're doing anything that appeals to men when their business sells products primarily to men, um, it would be fine if they replaced it all, I guess, with ads that were organically good and appealed to women, but they haven't. They've just made terrible fucking ads. Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, the, the, even the ad that you referenced was 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 hard to watch, and and just linking it to, you know, the story of your your roommate in college and and all that. It was it was a really good article, so I highly recommend that one. But I'll explain. I'll explain that. I want to explain that one real quick because go um, for it. It's a good one. Just a, because somebody might listen to this and say, "Who cares? They're ads." That's fair, but I think it's cool sometimes that an ad can be a part of culture or art. And I had the experience of in college, my roommate was from Guatemala and he had seen all these Nike soccer ads. And that's how he introduced me to soccer because I didn't know anything was showing me this stuff. And they were so well made and they really captured what was cool about it. And that was a whole portal to another world. And so I'm just making the case. I mean, look, we're all going to live if Nike makes terrible ads. It's fine. But I'm just making the case that when you make good things, it opens people's mind. It opens people to other good things, and they're not doing that, and it's stupid, and that's what the article's about. You were saying. Exactly right. You were saying. You wrote the thing. Um, but yeah, one more sub stack that was interesting was you shitting on NBA Twitter. Take us through it. <laughs> I mean, I don't even have to say anything. People already know that's bad. Do they, though? Do they, though? I mean, the I, I didn't get a whole lot of pushback with that one. I'll say that much. So the main point I'm trying to make in that article, because it sounds like a crazy case. I'm saying, we've talked about it before. The NBA has lost half of its TV audience basically within half a decade, which is a staggering collapse. And a lot of it's been obscured and mystified by people who don't want to admit it. And they've made anybody talking about it out to be the weird person as though leagues just lose half their audience within five years. No, they don't. It's unusual. It at least warrants some inspection. There are many factors. I do think one of the factors is that the NBA went all in on Twitter. And you don't have to necessarily believe my theory on that, but I think it's worth looking at how it is unique, that they were unlike the other leagues. They along with Jack Dorsey, who runs Twitter, formed an alliance very early on and were excitedly telling the world. Adam Silver was saying, this helps our ratings. And at every media day, as you might remember, Andrew, they would bring the rookie over to the social media station and basically plug all the social media into his brain and get him authenticated on all these platforms. Uh, Little did we know that that was... You know, the equivalent of uh, getting him to smoke cigarettes, but for the mind. Uh, Little did we know that this was just an injection of poison. So they basically wired the entire NBA, according to Twitter, 
um, thinking that this was going to be their path to power. And that wired a bunch of the journalists to Twitter as well. So now everybody right now is thinking about Twitter and thinking about that as a measure of success. And because on Twitter, in journal world, uh, everybody just wants to argue about vaccines. Suddenly, that is the thing that they are going to highlight during training camp and uh, drive that story to a scale that is far beyond whatever the interest is of the readership that just wants to think about basketball and how good Jordan Poole got or whatever. And so my argument was that basically the NBA drank poison by doing this, that they thought I could understand why they thought it was going to be the magical elixir. I totally get it from that perspective at that time. I'm not even criticizing. I didn't know how bad the downsides of all this would be, Uh, but they were unique in going full Twitter and they have suffered the consequences. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's interesting that you two gentlemen at least were discussing it in the group chat. You were comparing that or talking about that article when we referenced it to the NFL and the NFL pro, I mean, you can touch on this probably a little bit better as well, is it's so much more about the game. It's so much more about yes what's on the field, the battle, you know, whether it's a quarterback returning home after being traded or leaving or Brady's, you know, whatever number of games he's played in his 40s. And it's all about that. It's not about all the other stuff that look at times we even talk about on this podcast where it's it's become much more soap operation i think i think you make a valid point that twitter has poured fuel on that soap opera side of things and maybe it goes back to the fact that there's too many games and they get bored and they need to talk about something else even within those 82 games right who knows mm. i mean that's a theory in itself but Pro, I mean, you touched on it a little bit with Strauss. We're in a group chat together for everyone out there, which which is colorful at the best of times. But you were saying just it's just such a good product as a consumer, and, and it's just all about the game. Yeah, I mean, the NBA has turned in the last eight years or so, it's turned into the WWF. It's not the NBA anymore. You know, with Stern, and no offense to Silver, but with Stern, it was mostly about marketing the game. You know, like them, hate them, whatever. In my opinion, it was. With this deal, I think – to motivate the players, the whole shut up and dribble deal, you know, with LeBron, like they want the players to feel as though like they want to talk about everything and they want to make it, uh, give it somewhere that they could, a platform for them to talk about politics, about this, about that. And uh, to be honest with you, it's just fucking too much. It's suffocating as fuck. No offense to the player, like the players should be able to talk or whatever, but talk in their own time. But when you just make it about everything else but the game, you know, it's just, and I guess, you know, and most of the people who cover the game, they're probably better covering the, the National Enquirer shit than they do the actual game because they probably don't know what the fuck they're talking about anyway when they're trying to break the game down. So they're better in that environment of like scandal and about this and about vaccines and about this thing and that thing he said, she said, and all this stuff. So I don't know, man. It just seemed like, and maybe it's just because it's all social media and there's overexposure. And, and all of this is just, it's getting to be too much. Players are divas, not all, not to a full extent, but, you know, a lot of the better players are. And it ruins the experience and, the you know, sitting out games and doing this and, you know, some of the things that they say and it just, it turns you off. It just hit me that we are going to get... I mean, there's such an easy opening to call us hypocrites right here. You know, we get get far enough in the conversation. I'm ripping the media on training camp day for talking 
too much vax, but we had this giant segment on this podcast on vax. So oh, no, I just said it. It's perfectly okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this is a. I thought Kevin Durant had a really interesting quote um, that almost revealed where the league is and what its issue is. And I think he was just talking honestly. But I look at this and it was uh, Kevin Durant tells the media that the Nets-Bucks rivalry is more between fans and social media and less between the players. And he says, if we play them a few more times in the playoffs, then maybe. But there's not enough continuity in our league for teams to have rivalries. I, I look at that and I'm just, just, I mean, you said no offense to Adam Silver, bro. I thought a lot of offense to Adam Silver. I mean. <laughs> was, that the, was that the little giggle? I mean. That was the little giggle you made? Yes, that was that little giggle. That was a little good. I was just thinking, you know, at a certain point, we have to just admit this guy hasn't done a very good job. I mean, I know the NBA is going to... Here, here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen. The NBA is going to sign a TV deal. It will be a lot more money than the last TV deal. Why? Because that's true for all the sports right now. They're all going to do that. They're all going to do that. It has to do with streaming services. It, it's a lot less money than if the league had been growing, but I think that's going to obscure what's going to happen. I, I just think at a certain point when you've lost this much of the thread and the superstar players, hey, our league doesn't even have enough continuity to have rivalries, and he says it with a straight face and everybody knows it's true, something's, got, something's gone wrong and somebody should probably be held accountable for it if they're the steward of the league. That's all I'm saying. The players themselves, too, are different. They're not trying to battle other players. Everybody wants to be friends, too. Like, it is sort of the whole culture of the league, too. Like, I was surprised. You know, I've heard about it. I talked to Kobe about it before I got into the league, back in the league with Dallas in 13. And he goes, Mike, it's getting worse. And I go, nah, Kobe, come on, I watch. It's pretty good. There are rivalries. He goes, Mike, I'm telling you. You know, the people that are coming in this league are not, they're not what you think they are. And like, they, everybody wants to be boys. You know, I'm fucking tired of it. And that's what, like, I got to the Mavs and I, and I sort of started noticing that, that like, you know, the old school guys that were, that were played in the 90s and were still playing or early 2000s got drafted. Those guys sort of had those rivalries and there was still old school to a certain degree as far as like, not wanting to fight guys, not Charles Oakley style, but they actually had that, no, I'm going to fucking come at you. Now it's like they compete, but it's they, they all want to be boys. They want to trade jerseys at the end of the games. It's a lot different product, you know, itself, the game itself too. And, and my thing with Silver is, look, he had to do anything that he could do to have longevity and stay relevant with his position. So he goes in, he could have done two things. He could have been stern 2.0, and continue to do what he did, and he does. He's not wired to be stern, or he could be like, you know what? I'm going to bow down to the players to a certain degree, and let them run it, and, and do whatever they want to do. Make a shitload of money, and no one's questioning me. I'm the good guy, you know. Now I'm the good guy. I'm not the bad guy like Stern. So I don't really blame him, although he hasn't done a great job with that stuff because the product itself, if you, yeah, the player individually is still very good and great and, you know, you still have great players and whatnot, but the games themselves, for the most part, they're not fun to watch. You're, you're making an interesting argument because I think what you're saying, if I'm reading you correctly, is that what's happening is bigger than him in a way. Yeah. That what can you do? It's the technology. It's it's cultural shift. I mean, you, you know, you you're you can't possibly fight it or dictate what's going to happen to that extent. And I think that there's something to that. I think my issue with him, as I look at the the scope of his leadership, and he's probably a very smart guy and competent in many ways, but. So he has this moment in the beginning where he bans Donald Sterling. Yeah. And for life, it echoes across. And 
Um, he gets a lot of praise in media for having done this. And I think he almost took from that that being a crusader for social justice is what he should be. And in a way, he forgot the part of the lesson that what people also liked was that there was strong leadership. That's also what people liked about that moment. You were a leader. You brought a consequence to somebody. You said, no, it's going this direction. Yes, in that particular instance, it was what made the players happy. That's true. But there's also something to be said for just being a steward, being a CEO. And part of my issue with the way the NBA went full Twitter, it represents to me this idea of, oh, let Twitter run the league's messaging. Whoever's talking on there, that's that's who will figure it out. All these different different people, you know, and random freaks, like they'll 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 do our messaging. We're not going to actually be the ones to uh control our messaging of what we are through our ad campaigns. Like we're going to we're going to let we're going to let Twitter, we're going to let Twitter do it. It just seems it seems lazy at some level and it seems easy at some level. And I do think again, if you're in a situation where you've got half as many people in America watching the NBA as when you took over, you fucked up, man. I mean, how else are we going to spin that one? And it's crazy to me again that so few people are taking that position. I, I think it's an obvious position to take. Yeah, there's there's, a, there's alarm bells with, with the numbers, even though I think the the TV money's going to go up. So it does it does put a Band-Aid on, on the gaping hole, but we'll watch that space. But um, yeah, your Substack. Very, very good. I, I enjoy it. You also noticed, can you confirm this? Did you notice a fair few uh, NBA emails showing up as your subscribers? Especially when I had an article come out in the Thunder. I think the league is very curious about the Thunder, <laughs> what, what they're up to. But that that was something I definitely noticed. I don't, I don't, I mean, <laughs> look, great. officially, I don't notice anybody's email. I'm not violating anybody's privacy, whatever, whatever. But the Thunder... I realize in the aftermath of that one that that's that's a topic of interest to many within the NBA because they are unique among teams. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, let's finish off real quick before we get to a few of our segments. We're almost done. I want you guys to tell me, give me your Ben Simmons trade now. I'll go first. I think Portland's going to pull it off. I think it's going to be something from Portland is going to end up in Philly's hands, and that's my trade partner. What do you guys got? I'll, I'll go Portland. I haven't been paying attention to anything, man. I'm telling you. like I, I don't feel that feels right to me. I like it. Um, I'm into it, but it's not like I've been in the weeds on the NBA. I feel, And I feel least confident on this stuff. How do you feel about it, Pro? Are you a master of the salary cap? Uh, do you have all the matching salaries in your head? Do you feel confident when this stuff is brought up? A little bit, a little bit. I, I'm better good. at this than fucking picking games. I, I'm awful <laughs> at picking games. But this stuff I could sort of read a little bit. But the trades, you never know. The only thing with Philly is Daryl Morey doesn't want draft picks. He hasn't drafted particularly well. He, he's better at with like the big trades to get players, right? And he's not going to wait on draft picks. Doc's not going to wait on draft picks. He's not a young guy coach either. He wants to coach vets. So what's going to make the best splash? So it's not this like throw in nine pick deal because we're just going to like get all these picks and be good like in, in the future. So what's the best player you can get that they really need to make a move to? Look, Neil O'Shea is on the hot seat. He's most likely over 50% chance will get fired if things don't go in the right direction there. So he's got to make a move. So what do you do? 
So you, you trade Ben Simmons to Portland and, you know, Portland gets this guy. Yeah, he's got his issues, but he can guard people, which they, they don't guard anybody. They can guard people. He gives them size. He gives them some talent. And then Philly gets a player who could actually make a shot and wants to take a shot in the last two minutes of a game and get to the free throw line. And McCollum, and he's not perfect, but he's very good. He's not an all-star, but he's a very good player. And I think that that complements. You can get a bunch of uh, above-average players from the Spurs, you know, with their young guys. There's no one really great there that you can get, but you can get a bunch of good players, you know, for sure. They've got a, a stack full of them, but they don't. nothing's really great on their roster, but it's good. And then, like, you can get Buddy Heald from Sack, but come on, you know, you can get him and the kid from Duke, you know, the, the foreman there. Were you talking about Bagley? Bagley. Yeah, Bagley. There's not really much you can get there. Port, like Portland is probably the best deal. Now, maybe they hold off and there's been uh, this Kyrie Irving thing goes south and they, they find a trade partner in, in Brooklyn, but you got to, you know, and I think if Kyrie gets traded to Philly, he'd play to go with Embiid. They got a good team, you know, but that's, I, I'd say that's like an 8% or 5% chance of happening. So I think the Portland thing. Let me ask you this, guys. Is this possible that Portland get a month into the season, nothing's done? Pro, you spoke about that the Ben Simmons trade could happen between any time between now and, and trade deadline, maybe a little bit earlier than, than the new year. Is it plausible that the, the, the Trailblazers don't start well and Dame wants out and he can be involved in that trade? Because I'm, I'm conspiracy theory, maybe, maybe that's a possibility. You know, I think it, it's definitely plausible. New coach, not a guy that Dame wanted. Dame has said he wants to be there. I want to be here. I want to be a one-team guy. But if things, you know how things are when, when they start poorly and let's say the Billups offense isn't, centered as much around Dame, which was 99% of their offense the last couple of years, and the 1% went to McCollum. Is that plausible? No. Oh, well, yes, it is. It is. I don't think it's going to happen because you can get to other teams that will give you a much better package than Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard. Like like C.J. McCollum, I would take Ben Simmons for because they're comparable. But like Dame Lillard is one of the best players in the league. I'd say he's probably in the top 10, 11 players in the league. You know, maybe better, whatever. But, like, I think you can get a much better package. You could probably get Bradley Beal. You could probably – you can get a much better player than Ben Simmons in a trade for Dame Lillard. So, yes, it could start slow. Dame could just force a trade. But if I'm Portland, I'm like – and if I don't want to make that deal to get Simmons for you, I'm like, no, I'll trade you, but I'm not trading you to Philly. And I don't think he's going to say, I want to go to Philly – you know, seriously, there's no one like lining up. It's not like the <laughs> oasis in the desert to go to fucking Philly, you know. So there's a much better team. You could probably get something better for that. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. So that's enough. that's my take. Just something I thought of. All right, stats, useful or useless. So this is in the ilk of uh, pros, pro WNBA rant. Both the Phoenix Mercury and Phoenix Suns reached the finals this season. It is the first time a single city had their WNBA and NBA teams reach the finals in the same calendar year since the Los Angeles Lakers and Sparks in 02 Pro. How about that? Useful or useless stat? Useful. Yeah, that's pretty useful. Oh, this carries on your pro WNBA stance. Pro, pro, no pun pun intended, pro and WNBA rent. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool, though, to have a, the same NBA city, you know, for WNBA and NBA. Especially if they both lose. Oh, yeah. And they, <laughs> oh, they both lose. That would be great. That, that's definitely useful. Strauss, useful, useless. I don't know what I'm going to use it for. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> to tell your friends that's about how point. great the WNBA is. What's the slogan they're using right now for the WNBA? 
It's um. Oh yeah, necessary. yeah, yeah, yeah. The only problem with the WNBA is you aren't watching it. Oh no, no. I thought it was it's nec. Oh uh, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> no, it's the it's necessary or it's important. What are they saying? Oh, that's the new one. No, but there yeah. was a Nike ad campaign that said the only problem with the WNBA is you aren't watching it. Which oh, I thought you I were mean, busting my balls about. I wasn't. Saying. That was the real ad campaign. Uh. But yeah, it, it's important. Was the last one? Uh, was the last. Uh, on on Twitter is where I'm seeing that everywhere. So it's important, guys. Well, it's, it's pretty important. funny yeah. that Pro thought you were busting his balls with a legitimate commercial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Case closed. How about that? Yeah. If people read this fucking uh, our fucking group chat, they know that we bust each other's balls constantly. I think the WNBA needs to have a meeting and figure this whole thing out because they have wooed a Boston townie. You know, that is your accent. I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, like a Boston townie dude. And, and he's become a rabid WNBA fan. But here's you know, my thing with the WNBA, though, Strauss. Uh-huh. I don't believe that they should get paid as much as NBA players. Not even close. All right. Not even close. But regardless, they got your they got your eyeballs. They figured it out. They need to they need to study you. They need to understand yeah. what happened. Strauss, and he's what being paid worked. by one and of all, the players. I was ah, oh, you 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 ruined the punchline. You ruined the punchline. <laughs> you know I was that. winding up to it. I was winding up to it. Yeah. <laughs> we we ran the study, and it apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe me. The only thing I'm getting studied for is cholesterol in, in my fucking blood. But what? I, but but I'm saying like with the WNBA, I like the style. But I'm not one of those that saying I'm going on record and saying they deserve equal pay just because I know the payment. I know the structure of pay in the NBA and how that works. Like, if people <laughs> aren't coming to your games. So here, here's a, here's a, how much would you have to be paid to then say that they deserve equal pay? Nah, I, I don't do that shit. I, I couldn't take any amount of money because I, I don't believe in it. Not even a max deal in the NBA? Nah, seriously, 20 million would do it. But yeah, no, I would. <laughs> but like, I, I'm an honest 20? guy about it. I like the style of play, but if they're I'll not, do it. no, yeah, if they're not making the money, I'll do it for 100. If that league ain't bringing the money. You do it for what? 150 subscriptions. You do it for five subscriptions, you fuck. I've seen your numbers. Come on. Get the fuck out of here. All right, next one. Useful, useless. Everyone is just pacing themselves in the preseason. That's a new stat. I think it's useful because everyone says it. So it's like if you're playing if you're playing shit and you're having a horrible preseason, oh, it's just the preseason. We're pacing ourselves. And if you're playing well, you're going to win a championship. That's the disparity. That's why it's always fun. The preseason's always fun for, for that aspect. I remember Kenny Smith saying that he thought Olajuwon might be trash or might be uh, bad just through the first preseason with him uh, because he didn't, he didn't understand that the man was ramping up. And I always thought maybe Olajuwon was one of the great load managers because he was such a killer in the playoffs and i'm sorry i interrupted man before his time what did kenny say he was trashing what the first preseason game? well yeah i think when he just uh, his first time with the rock is like man did this guy forget how to do it you know is it, oh. did something go wrong and then it's like no this is just he <laughs> he he ramps up man if you listen to kenny smith talk about basketball he's forgotten a lot of shit believe me <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Well, he did that segment with Grant Cardone. So he might oh, have to wow. He's a fucking- All right, last three. We've got fact or fake news pro. Shoot. Ethan Strauss Sherwood should give us a free sub, uh, sub to his sub stack. Well, too fucking late for me. I already fucking paid him. Fact, $99. fact. I, Give me the code, Strauss. Yeah. Fact. I, I mean, this is like NBA players and their family members. I, I really- Oh, Wow. I don't. I say, hey, you, you got to buy it. Unless, 
unless I think the giving of it can be economically advantageous to me in some respect. Let's say we're talking about you're a tycoon of an influencer. And you know, maybe you're there, you know, fair enough, fair enough. Otherwise, I don't give away the freebies. I've had friends try to hit me up for them and it's, hey, if you really love me, you'll pay the sub fee. That's my 99 bucks. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I'd rather give my money to Amand Amandi, the fucking president of Nigeria that emailed me this morning <laughs> to try to give me a social security number than give you my 99 bucks for this hey, shit. Hey, I, I will say legitimately, because I'm like the guy selling a demo tape out of the back of his trunk. I work my ass off. And I say stuff you don't find anywhere else. And I think you both know that. I will say I that. Need a dictionary to, I need a dictionary to understand <laughs> half the fucking words you use. But I support you. Well, the, the vocabulary, uh, vocabulary improvement, uh, that's part of the appeal of the, whole, of the whole scheme, of the whole scam, as you'd put it. It's a scheme, all right. Don't worry, don't worry about it. I'll just get it from, uh, from Raymond Ritter again, Strauss. Don't worry about that. We'll just share, we'll just share out that, that uh, <laughs> password like I did with your athletic account. Wait, did you legit get it from Raymond? Because that would, that would oh, man. Uh, 100% that would, did. So, uh, backstory, uh, everyone, the reason why this question's on here. Strauss, oh my God. a former athletic this. fame, wrote a bunch of articles, wanted to read a few, and I was grilling him to give me a free sub. So this has started about five years ago. He wouldn't do it, even though he worked for a massive corporation in the athletic, wouldn't give me a free sub. And then um, I think I did an, uh, an interview with you, and I couldn't read it. And Raymond is like, oh, we'll just give you the password for it. And I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> and now I'm grilling him for his sub stack, and I'll find a way eventually. And, and when I find a way to get it free, log into that. Actually, Pro just sent me yours later. I will tell you all oh, about okay. it, Strauss. Unbelievable. Yeah, you keep on saying free sub. I keep thinking something completely different. But you know. <laughs> no wonder you paid the $99. <laughs> no shit. I thought, <laughs> I thought I was going to get a free card to fucking Subway, motherfuckers. <laughs> Next one, bro. All right. The Lakers will retire uh, Paul Gasol's jersey, two-time NBA champ. Fact, fact from what I'm hearing. Fact, I think they're going to do it. He's close ties to Kobe. That's fact. And he's close ties to the Bryant family, obviously help as well. So I would say fact on that one, Strauss. Yeah, you got to. I mean, what's the argument even against it? I just think it's, uh, yeah. How many years was he there? He wasn't there that long though, right? Was it six, seven? Well, seven, yeah. But that that franchise, I mean, that trade was huge for that franchise. It completely revert. They were in the doldrums. And for Memphis, it was great too, for sure. Oh yeah, and that's Marcus the only way that it was. Yeah. Don't I mean, mention yeah. Kwame Brown on this podcast. I don't want that fucking heat, right? So just don't not say anything <laughs> about Kwame Brown. <laughs> no, they don't win. They don't win those two championships about Paul. And I've had, you know, I've had a lot of discussion about this and. Yeah, he, they, they wouldn't win it without Pau. Pau, I mean, Pau is one of the more graceful big men in the league and, you know, in the league history. And the, the, and a, it was a great dynamic. And plus with Bynum, you know, it sort of was that they played well off each other because they passed the ball well and they could score and do – and they could defend. And then obviously with Kobe and, and whatnot. They don't win the championship because if they don't, fa- they, if they don't find a trade partner – you know, they weren't going to make another trade anything close to that for those types of assets. So, you know, uh, they don't win those two championships. By the way, Pro, you, you were in the know. How, how close was Kobe to leaving? Because there was sh- Chicago rumors at the time. Um, have you ever discussed that? No, he was, he was, it was done. It was done. He was coming, he was coming to Chicago. Cause I remember, cause he, he came, I remember he was, he was coming to Chicago. It was like Ben Gordon, Luel Dang. I forgot the trade itself, but yeah, I mean, it was done. It was very close to getting done, and then uh, and then they made the trade. You got to retire that number. Yeah, yeah. And Kobe said it's his number one teammate of all time. Yeah, 
he said that to me a thousand times. He says, favorite teammate of all time. It's not even close. Just because that, like, you know, they were so close, man. They, and the family thing and them and they just sort of – because they love the game. They love talk. Like, not maybe besides Derek Fisher, there wasn't really anyone else on that team after after the Shaq. I'm talking about an 0-9-10 team that loved the game like that. I mean, they would just talk about it constantly, like for hours. And, you know, that's what Kobe likes. Like, you know, that's – Kobe didn't like talking about many other things than that. And those guys just sort of – I don't know, they clicked. But, yeah, I think they retire it right next to his – Next. Last one. NBA Twitter has ruined the NBA. <laughs> we kind of covered it. Yeah, we covered it. We covered it. I, I think it's I think it's in between fact and fake news. I think it I think there's definitely an argument f- towards it just when we, you know, discuss the NFL and all that. So I think it's a balanced one. I can't go either way, as I'm sure you two agree. Beautiful. Thank you very much for joining us, Ethan Shield Strauss. It's been a pleasure getting your nuanced takes, especially the, the the first one, the the man biting the dog. Just hit it out of the park immediately, man. That's why we got you on the podcast. But we really appreciate all the support. Give us that URL, that that website again, if you can, for your Substack. The website again is houseofstrauss.substack.com forward slash dot forward slash no that that was it that was it right right then and there and uh yeah if uh, if you like some of what you heard uh there's plenty more to re- i'm not good at doing the whole thing i'm no grant cardone <laughs> i'm not slick like that hey you, you want the bird you want the bentley you start reading house of strauss substack.com <laughs> sponsored by the law firm of dewey cheatham and how all right, guys, that's episode 37. Really appreciate it. Um, we did our call-in, Pro and I. We had two questions this week, so check that out on the call-in app. We want to try to get that going to at least four or five questions before we start adding them onto the podcast so we can hear your voice when the question is asked rather than myself or Pro reading it. So remember, download the call-in app, register. It's pretty easy to use, and you can jump online with us weekly. We'll announce the time a couple of days before we go live. Thanks again, Sherwood. Thanks again, Pro. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Thank you. Later.